Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, let's just start with a kind of a, 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 a little kind of a nutty visual. Um, so imagine you're, you're standing in the shower and um, you're doing everything right. You're standing right underneath the shower head and, you know, you've got the water turned on. You can see the water. The water is definitely going, but you're not getting wet. So something's going on. You, you double check everything. There you are. You're in the shower. Everything is lined up. And yet you're, it's not your imagination. You're not getting wet. And then you realize, oh, oh, it's because I'm wearing a raincoat. <laughs> so now this sort of like solves the problem. Why aren't you getting wet? You're doing everything right, but you're wearing a waterproof garment, stopping the water from getting to you. So with this in mind, I want to ask the following question, um, which is a very, a very, very fundamental, fundamental question. And, um, you know, if it seems obvious what I'm about to say, that's part of the problem because it's not obvious. So, so just uh, as Reb Shlomo would say, open up your hearts and, and just try to hear the following words. Is God here to serve us or are we here to serve God? I'm going to say it again. Is God here to serve us or are we here to serve God? You know, one of the things Reb Shlomo used to say all the time is you can be doing everything right, but at the same time you're doing everything wrong. A person can be doing everything right and at the same time doing everything wrong. So how is that possible that those both things can, can um, happen simultaneously? Right? Because we're used to thinking it in terms of black and white, these binary terms. You're either doing it right or you're wrong. And if you're doing it right, you're doing it right. So how can you be doing it right and you're doing it wrong? And so we go back to the initial bit of imagery. How can a person be standing under a shower and yet they're wearing a raincoat? In other words, they're doing everything right. But while they're doing everything right, they're doing something which is counteracting everything else. So to get deeper, we can be spending a lot of time, like all of our time, whatever it is, serving God or, or being quote unquote religious, whatever that means. You know, I, I was talking with someone the other day and, and I, I, I said to them, I said, you know, it, it, I'm, I'm not very religious Meaning to say that, you know, like from this guy's point of view, you know, um, you know, just on a sort of like if you were to just kind of like make a chart of mitzvahs done, I'm doing more mitzvahs than this person is, right? So he looks to me as someone who's like, oh, very religious, right? But I was trying to counteract that notion. And, and I was saying to him, I'm not very religious, you know, in, in the way you're thinking of it. Um, but he, here's, here's the difference. When, if you accept the premise of an, of, of Hashem, of God, 
then then by definition, God is God because he's all-powerful. God is God because nothing is hard for him. God is God because he's involved with every aspect of all of creation. You know, can there are those people who sadly think that somehow God created the world and then abandoned it. Do you think that God is, is some personality from some, you know, low-rent neighborhood who has children and then abandons them? I mean, is that who we think God is? God never abandoned creation for a single moment. And God is involved in every aspect You know, the Baal Shem Tov says, you know, imagine, like, just use your mind, free your mind, because the more creative you are, there's a big link between creativity and, and holiness, believe it or not. The Rebbe speak about that, which is that because the more you can fathom, the more you can fathom God's involvement in the world. So, so creativity, creativity can lead you astray. Remember, the, the, the root for the word Adam which is a person, man, woman, it's a person. Adam shares the same root as dimyon, which means imagination, which means that man has the capacity to, to use this inherent strength of imagining to, to, to see the greatness of God and, and the, the, the extent, the fullness of God, not the complete fullness of it. Obviously, we're finite and God is infinite, relatively speaking. But nonetheless, the more you can imagine, the more you can see God's presence. But imagination can also lead a person astray because imagination can make you think of things that are just simply incorrect. So anyway, the point is that use your imagination for a moment to imagine a remote place on earth, like a place where even to this day, no person has ever gone. There are places like this on earth. And imagine this grassy field in this remote place where no one has ever been. And the wind is coming and it's blowing the grass this way and that way. So the Rebbe say, God is directing the fluctuation of every single one of those blades of grass. You know, if you think there's so much life, there's a whole hidden world under the ocean. Places we've never been to, we've never explored, under sea, right, right on earth. Remote places. And they've got species of fish that have never been discovered yet. And God is feeding those fish right now, those little organisms right now, things that we don't even know exist. There's no catalog, there's no... There's no Latin name for any of these things. And right now, God is there feeding those things, things that we, we, can't, we can't even imagine them because we've never seen anything like them. And they're there right now. So what I'm trying to suggest, what I'm trying to suggest is, is the vastness of it all. And, and getting back to this idea, which is, how is it possible to be doing everything right and at the same time be doing everything wrong? How is it possible to be standing under the shower in a raincoat, but you're ready for this new edition? Not to even know that you're wearing the raincoat. 
In other words, it's not working, but I don't know why it's not working. Because the raincoat is so much a part of you. This closed heart is so much a part of us that we don't even recognize for what it is. And what I'm suggesting is, on a very, very deep level, it all boils down, or much of it boils down to this question. Let's say it again. Is God here to serve us, or are we here to serve God? You see, if God is here to serve us, then I understand why life is a constant, frustrating experience. And why our relationship with God is so fraught with difficulty and anger and disbelief. Because I'm doing what he tells me to do. Like I'm doing this mitzvah, I'm doing that mitzvah, I'm saying this prayer, I'm saying that prayer, I'm reaching out. And yet I feel ignored. And why isn't God doing what I'm telling him to do? (laughs) Do you hear do you hear how the answer is in the question? Why isn't God doing what I'm telling him to do? <laughs> well, maybe that's not the nature of your relationship. <laughs> maybe the essence of God is he's not here to serve us. Maybe the essence of us is that we're here to serve him. Oh, The entire relationship changes at that moment. Our entire lives change at that moment. You mean I'm here to serve him? I'm here to serve God? And then the more you think about that, you look around and you go, I get to serve God. God lets me serve him. God allows me this speck of nothingness to have a relationship with the infinite one who loves us the most? I get to do that? Even amidst the troubles and the frustrations, I get to have that relationship with the one, the only one? And now with that in mind, the entire journey changes and everything changes. All of life changes. Because you know what? First and foremost, it's not about me anymore. And this is the greatest liberating force that a human being can experience when it's not about me anymore. You know, if you remember, you know, I'll tell you a story. There's a, there's someone named Gil Locks. He goes by his Hebrew name now, but he published a couple of books with the, with the name Gil, including this early Gematria book, which is an amazing book. It, it, it goes through every number in the five books in the Chumash, one through, I don't know, whatever the largest number is. And it will list all the words in the Chumash that have that number. So it's this great reference book, and it's called the... Um, the, the Spice of Torah. Uh, it's a Gamatria book. And um, it's, it's out of print as far as I know. So it's, um, but, uh, but a great, great reference tool. Like if you ever want to know the number 347, well, you've got a book where you can look up 
You just turn to the number 347, and it will tell you all the numbers in the Torah, in the five books, that are 347. And it will tell you where they are in the Torah, in the Hebrew word, and the English translation. It's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic uh, uh, book. And, um, and he has others, too. And he also, like, you can find him if you want to talk to him. He, he stands by the Kotel, the Holy Wall in Jerusalem, and he puts tefillin on people and just talks to them and blows their mind. Anyway, on his journey to Torah, uh, he was a guru, like a, a legit guru at one point in the, in the Eastern uh, tradition. And he was... He was. He writes about this in his in in his book. The, the from uh, from guru of uh, from guru of Central Park to to old city Jew, something like this. Uh, that, that's th- those are enough keywords that you'll be able to find the book if you want it. But um, anyway, it, it's a fascinating, fascinating book. And in it, he talks about how he was meditating in India for. I don't know how many hours a day, but like a lot of hours. I'm going to say something like 16, 18, 20 hours a day. I mean, like a lot of hours. Like, And um, and at one point he tells the story that he was kind of just walking down one of the roads there in India. And he sees this woman who's like very, very upset. And, and he says, look. I'm a really busy guy. Right? He's like meditating for like approximately 20 hours a day. This is real. Okay. So I'm a really busy guy, but I see that you're having problems and I'm just going to cut to the chase. Okay. And he, he says to her, like, he's just met this girl. He says, all of your problems come from one place. You've convinced yourself that you exist. <laughs> I love that. That's it's awesome. It's awesome. That's awesome. Now we do exist. We actually do exist. But what do we exist for, right? And on some level, we don't exist, right? Remember, on the in the deepest, deepest way, there was a. I heard from Rabbi Beryl Wine that there was a debate really on the words "ain od," right? We the first paragraph of Elenu ends with the words, Ein Ode. There's nothing other than God. And so basically there are two approaches to this, right? So there's a, a, a debate between the, the Vilna Gon and the Ari, right? Uh, and, and, and Rabbi Wine said that basically the two different opinions are, does this world ultimately exist at all? Right? So the Vilna Gon says yes, and the Ari says no that all that exists is God. Or as Rabbi Green once said, the only thing going on 24-7 is God. It's the only thing that's going on. Nonetheless, we, we approach it from the angle that really both are true, and that we have to very much exist in and experience this lifetime, um, understanding the reality of the things around us. But we can misapply that, and we can take it so far as to make ourselves the primary creation and that our problems are the primary stuff of life, that ultimately it's all about us. So that's, that, that would be taking it too far. That would be taking it too far. And how do we undo that? 
how do we undo that? Because we're hardwired to do that. To the extent that we do it, it's totally natural and, and, and normal, you know? It's not, oh, I'm such a creep, I'm such a lowlife, you know? Look at me, I'm just thinking about my own problems. It's 10,000% normal. But, but ultimately, it can lead to all sorts of wrong and, 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 and harmful ways of approaching life, which is that ultimately, we under, we, if, if, if we see ourselves as the primary existence, right? And again, we are hardwired to do so. Imagine a baby. A baby is just like, wah, wah, I want to eat, wah, it's all about me, wah, give me a bottle, wah, I'm changing my diaper. You know, that, that's how we start off. And, you know, sometimes we'll even get college degrees and graduate degrees and dress in fine suits and all the rest. But that essential element never changes in many of us. You know, so again, let's not lose sight of the, the central question of this of, of this, um, of today, right? Which is, is God here to serve us or are we here to serve God? Because unless we untie this knot in our brains, we'll be standing under the shower in a raincoat and never realize that we're wearing a raincoat. <laughs> You know, transcendence, liberation from ego, liberation from self, this is, this is part and parcel of what it means to live a life of meaning. And, and people are, are desperate for this. And, and they'll take every shortcut for it. Sex, drugs, food, money, career, arrogance, every shortcut that can sort of kind of relieve them of themselves or make them feel bigger than themselves, people will run to and embrace. But all of these things are essentially band-aids addressing the deeper, more relevant issue, which is, is it, is it about me and now I have to escape the me? Well, here are different ways that I can escape the me. Or is it that it's not about me to begin with? So a person isn't born with this level of consciousness or enlightenment, can we say? A person has to work to achieve this. But first, they have to understand that what the stumbling blocks are. You know, Rav Frimer in the Eretz Tzvi says something so beautiful. He says that the, the the role of a of a you know of a of a guide of a holy guide is basically to you know after we ate from the the the, the tree of knowledge and and we were escorted, let's just say, out of the Garden of Eden. These angels, the Kruvim, were put to block our way back to the tree of life. And Reb Tzadik Akon, as just as a PS to this, but just it's an awesome Torah in Tekanus Hashavan, 
says that those angels that were posted blocking us from eating from the tree of life were created by us. Because it says in Perke Avos that when you do a mitzvah, you make an angel. And when you do something wrong, when a person does something wrong, that they create a, a negative energy. And, and that eating from the tree of knowledge that, that we did created these, these blockages between us and the tree of life. And so Rav Firmer says that a holy guide, what, what, what a tzaddik will do for us is that he'll find a way to remove those obstacles connecting us to the tree of life. Those inner obstacles connecting us to the tree of life. And so what I'm suggesting is this question, is God here to serve us? Is it just that, you know something, you know, my, my so-and-so broke. Let me go on the website, look up the company, scroll down to the bottom, it says contact here, customer service, my so-and-so broke. <laughs> Please fix my so-and-so. <laughs> is that God? Is that essentially our relationship with God? Or is it God emails us and says, Hey, brother, sister, I gave you this gift. I gave you that gift. Get on it. That aspect of the world isn't finished yet. I gave you the skills. Use them. Is God our customer service representative or are we God's customer service representative? That's the question. And if we understand ourselves as being God's customer service representative, then we're on the job 24-7. We're in the field. We're not just sitting in the home office waiting for an answer from our field representative, Hashem. We got it all backwards. Even if we're doing everything right. I'm praying three times a day. I'm keeping Shabbos. I'm doing everything right. What's the problem? The problem is I think God is my field representative. That's the problem. God's working for me. I'm not working for God. I'm also working for God. But I'm working for God within the context of him working for me. <laughs> you see how complicated it can get? And I'm having sincere, awesome moments within the context of God working for me. <laughs> Do you see how all of these things are possible? The heart is a maze. The heart is a labyrinth. It's so easy to get lost. It's so easy to get lost. One of my favorite Hasidic parallels, pa parables is someone's lost in the forest. And they're looking around and, you know, getting lost in the forest back in the day was life and death because at night the animals would come out and they would eat you. They would kill you. This would happen on a regular basis. This was a very deep fear of people. This is why there's so many parables that are set in forests, because you could get lost and die. This was very real for like a long, long time. So a person's lost in the forest and, you know, it's very concerning to say the least. 
And then they see an old man and they're so happy. Oh, thank God. They run to the old man. What's the way out? And the old man says back to them, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm also lost. (laughs) But I can tell you which ways not to go. So, so slowly, 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 we're learning generation after generation. I asked Rip Shlomo about this, and he said to me, it's, I, I said, it seems like we're making the same mistakes over and over again. This is a widely shared, you know, feeling. We keep on making the same mistakes. And he said, no. He said, every generation is learning from the previous generation. We're making new mistakes. But there's so many mistakes to be made that, that even though we're making variations, even though we're making new mistakes, they look like the old mistakes, but they're not. We're, we're, we're slowly, slowly, slowly kind of like exploring all the boundaries because, you know, a mistake is a whole world. A mistake is not just an, an instance. It's not just a particular situation. When we make a mistake in life, there's some concept that we don't fully understand. We haven't fully internalized or grasped yet. And so we have to make a 360. We have to make a full circle around the mistake. And it looks like we're making the same mistake, but we're not. We're, we're checking in at different, different, different longitudes and latitudes, different parts of the circumference of the orbit of that mistake. And each one is new, and each time we're getting a deeper realization of how to move forward and how to break out of it. So, what I would like to share with you um, today, there's there's really so much, there's so much, but um, what I would like to do is... I would like to uh, to look into the very first conversation between the snake and humanity, and there's there's some great practical advice that that Rav Frummer in the Eretzvi gives us in terms of how to orient ourselves in this life, how to make it about. Um, serving God, and not just looking to God as our customer service representative. And so I'm going to uh, open up the Chumash, open up the Torah here. And, you know, if you want to look along or look this up, this is in Breshis, chapter 3, verse 1. So this is... uh, this is uh, the book of Genesis, Genesis 3.1, and, and it introduces the, the snake. And interestingly, I, I want to just make um, a, uh, a drusha, give you uh, just an insight that I had on the first word. Like if you, if you had come up to me just the other day and asked me, what's the first word that the snake ever says? I would not be able to give you an answer to that. Like, aren't you curious? What's the very, very first word that the snake uttered? That, that's interesting to me. That's cool, right? So, believe it or not, the very first word that the snake uttered is the word af. Aleph, fe, af. 
And um, it's, it's one of those words that's sort of like a, a rhetorical word, meaning to say that you could, you could, you could, you could communicate without using that word. You could make a simple sentence. There's already a little bit of a windy thing going on with the, with the, with the, uh, with the word af, beginning a sentence with, with, with that. And what I would like to suggest is, because I was looking at that word, af, aleph, fe, just kind of visualize those two letters, aleph, fe. And I was thinking, you know what's interesting about that word? Or one thing that's interesting about it? It's missing the lamid in between, right? Because if you were to put the lamid in between Aleph and Fe, you know what word you spell? Aleph. I thought, wow, that's interesting. It's sort of like this snake. The first thing the snake is doing is he's making a pagam, a flaw, in the Aleph. Now, of course, everybody knows Aleph is the first letter of the Aleph Beis, the first letter of the Torah, the Aleph of Anochi. Remember the um, Komarna Rebbe says that when God spoke the Torah at Harsinai, he pronounced the letter Aleph, right? That's the, and what's so cool about that is the letter Aleph is silent. So he pronounced the letter Aleph. That's a mind blower, right? And I think I didn't see this inside, but after hearing this Torah for about, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 20 years, maybe longer, it finally occurred to me what I think that Torah is going on. Because there are different opinions about what God spoke at Harsinai. And one of the opinions, or I think they all agree, it's just a question of when God did this exactly, is he spoke everything at once. In other words, there's this one sound that God made, which combined absolutely everything, and which was kind of like beyond, 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 beyond. And I think, I believe that's what the Kermano Rebbe is referring to when, when, when he says that Hashem pronounced the letter Aleph. He's referring to that sound. Anyway, anyway. And if he doesn't say it, I'm saying, okay. So, so Aleph is one, it's the number one in Gematria, and it, it represents Hashem. Right? Everybody knows the letter Aleph is actually composed of three letters, a, 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 a Yud above, a Vav diagonally drawn across, and then a, a, a Yud on the other side below. So two Yuds and a Vav add up to 26, which is the gematria of Hashem's holiest name, the Yud Kei Vav Kei. So we see the Aleph is one, it's Yud Kei Vav Kei. Aleph stands for Hashem. So now again, the first thing that the snake says is the word af. Af is missing the letter lamed. He's making a pagam. He's making a flaw in God. He's making an aspect of God missing. But it's with the letter lamed. Why lamed? So the Magali Amukos, one of the greatest Kabbalists ever, he had the privilege of going to his kever in Krakow. He's buried in the same cemetery as the Ramah. And um, at that point in Jewish history, to be the chief rabbi of Krakow meant you were basically the number one Torah scholar in the in the world. Okay, so so the Magali Amukos says on it says that 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 Adam the Torah says that Adam was put into the garden to work and guard the garden. 
So the word work is amal in the Torah. Ayin, mem, lamed. Amal means work. Ayin, mem, lamed. And, and the Magali Amuko says, what do those letters stand for? In other words, let's go deeper. What was the nature of the work that Adam Harishon and Chava had to do in the garden itself? He says, well, let's look deeply at the word work. Ayin stands for eyes, right? So much about life is guarding your eyes. Mem stands for Mila. That, that's the sexual organ. And Lamed stands for Lashon. That's the tongue. That's, that's how, how we communicate, how we speak with each other. So if you look at it that way, wow, the word Amal, work, it seems like a pretty generic word. Wow, it's like actually pretty hyper-specific. It's actually really talking about the fundamental aspects of, of our nature that we have to contend with, you know, and, and raise up and make holy. But what I'm trying to suggest to you here is that the letter Lamed in Amal stands for Lashon, which means speech. Now, let's go back to the snake. Isn't it interesting that the first word that the snake says, remember, he does all of his, his trickery, all of his, like, you know, all of his, you know, snakiness <laughs> through speech. And what's the first word he says is af, which I'm suggesting is the word aleph minus the letter lashan. Because what is he doing? He's making a flaw, not just in the olive, but specifically in the letter Lamed, which stands for Lashon, which means speech. In other words, the, the snake himself is announcing what he's about to do. I'm about to desecrate God's presence through my speech. Ready? Of course, you'd have to be thinking very, very quickly to get all that. But, you know, you can't say he wasn't doing full disclosure right at the very top. So now this starts to get deep and it starts to get challenging. But, you know, like Rob Frimmer says, what our holy guides are doing is they're removing that thing that's separating us from the tree of life. Those obstacles that, like Rab Tzadik says, we put in the way of ourselves, those things blocking us to the tree of life. So he's going to tell us a very big obstacle that we put in our way in terms of our connection to the tree of life. And it's, it's really, this is like one of those lifesavers. And this is one of those things that when you hear what I'm about to say over the next few minutes, you have to understand that this is life's work. This is the work of a lifetime, okay? It's not just, okay, I'm going to try to do it today. Oh, that was hard. Now I'm stopping. Now, this is something that, that we stay with, okay? So this is very important for our soul's education right now. So let me introduce the idea by telling you a classic Ramban at the beginning of um, Parshas Kedoshim. So Kedusha means all, it's all about holiness. It's a partial all about holiness. And, and Hashem is telling us that, that, that we should be holy because God himself is holy, right? It's almost as though 
God is saying, you know, you're working for me. You're working for someone who's holy. So all my employees have to be holy. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it is, right? So how do you be holy? Okay, so then the Parsha goes on to talk about different aspects of holiness. Um, but the Ramban says something at the very, very top, which is, you know, another one of these conceptual gold mines. And he, he says, do you know that it's possible to be keeping the Torah and to be basically a disgusting person? And again, he's going to give a specific in a moment. But again, it goes back to what Reb Shlomo is saying, or maybe better said, Reb Shlomo is going back to the, what the Ramban is saying, that it's possible to do everything right and to still be doing everything wrong. So what's, what does the Ramban say? He says that a person can drink like the most kosher wine, right? Oh, I don't drink non-kosher wine. It's got to be, you know, like, Mavushal, and it's like got you know the fourteen different stamps of the different uh, different rabbinates on the on the label of the wine, and I'm eating the strictest glot kosher, super glot, right? Like they used to just have kosher, then they have glot kosher. Let's invent a new category, super glot. Like this person is only drinking kosher wine and only eating super glot. But now you're ready for this part. That person can be 400 pounds and be an alcoholic. <laughs> In other words, what's stopping you from being an alcoholic just because you're drinking kosher wine? And what's stopping you from eating like a chazer just because you're only eating glad kosher food? You can eat and 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 drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. So now we get back to this idea of holiness. Well, wait a second, I, but I'm keeping kosher. Uh, now, you ready? Now, here's where the thought starts. With that introduction, here's where the thought starts. The Ramban says you want to be holy. You have to limit yourself within the realms of that which is permitted. I'm going to say that again. This is a giant idea. You have to limit yourself within the realms of that which is permitted to you. So that's a game changer in life. That's a game changer in life. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to show you what Rav Frimer does with it. And, and, and it's, it's, it's really glorious, actually, his analysis. Um, the snake says, Af, right? This this word that we analyze, he starts with Af. And, and he says, did perhaps, I'm reading you from the Art Scroll translation, did perhaps God say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And then it's, it says, the woman said to the serpent, of the fruit of any tree, of the garden we may eat. Of the fruit, of the, of the tree, which is in the center of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it. Okay. And you shall not touch it lest you die. Okay. 
Now, this is very, very subtle. But again, you have to open up your heart. You know, by the way, I saw um, that, or I heard that Breslov, Breslov, I was reminded of this. It's so beautiful. Breslov, if you rearrange the letters, it it, it, it spells Lev Basar, right? That's it's hinting at Lev Basar, meaning a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. You know, we, we want to have a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. What happens when you have a heart of stone and most of us are walking around with closed hearts all the time? That's just how we're hardwired. It's not, it's not a flaw in us. It's, it's something we have to evolve out of. But we have these bulletproof hearts, right? And for so many of us, and I'm talking about sincere people, you know, a lot of these words just like, they just bounce off of us. So, so, so we have to get really to the core. Like, how do we, how do we have an open heart? Well, one of the ways, and it's, it's, it's really the subject for today, is to understand that we're here to serve God. That's why we're here. That's the meaning of our lives. That's this whole journey, is just, is serving God. And of course, because God loves us so much and God is so good, we get all sorts of things along the way. Maybe not everything we want. Remember, the Talmud says, every single person who leaves this world hasn't fulfilled half of their desires. Right? That's just one of these rules of life. Every single person who leaves this world hasn't fulfilled half their desires. Right? That's just just what it is. Right? But if we make that the condition of whether we're happy or not, whether God is fulfilling all of our desires, if we can find a way to sort of like understand what's really going on in this world, then we can get liberated of all these falsehoods and we can actually live in the moment and live in reality. You know, sometimes I like to give this example, which is, you know, you sit down and you're at a fancy restaurant, you're so excited for the meal. It's like you've been looking forward to it. You've been saving up. You're with a person that you, whose company you really enjoy. It's a happy occasion. Everything is lined up to be great, you know? And the waiter comes over and you order your favorite sushi roll. And the waiter says, we don't have sushi. And you're like, well, maybe you just wrong, maybe they're just out of like spicy tuna, right? So you ordered the yellowtail, right? And they're like, no, no, no. We don't have that. And you're like getting very, very disappointed. And then he finally explains to you, this is an Italian restaurant. <laughs> we don't serve sushi here. In other words, if you don't know where you are, you will be constantly disappointed. If you are in this world and ordering off this like menu and like imagine that like everything is available and like should be coming to you and it's like, ah, some horrible problem in the system that you are a victim of. You never realized where you were to begin with. So much of Torah is just teaching us what the ground rules of reality are so that we can have the proper expectations. When a person has the proper expectations, they can really be open to happiness in a much greater way. Okay. So, so what Rav Frimer points out in this dialogue is that the Yetzirah, 
And if you look at Rashi, Rashi says that, that the snake saw Adam and Chava eating fruit. And, and that the snake asked an unnecessarily generalized question. The snake asked, Did God say, perhaps, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Well, the snake knew this wasn't true. He already saw them eating fruit. So why did the snake phrase his question in such an overgeneralized way? Really, he wants to talk about the tree of knowledge and to get her to eat from the tree of knowledge. And Adam too, right? So why is he starting off in this like very almost irrelevant way? It, did God perhaps say you shouldn't eat from any of these fruits? And so here you see one of the absolute key strategies of the Yetzirah, of the negative inclination in our lives. And we all have to be aware of this technique because unless we know that this is like the go-to place that the snake uses, we don't stand a chance, okay? And that's the, the imagery that the rabbis like to give is that you're walking down the street and then you see someone across the street waving to you. And then he starts to walk towards you and then you engage in a conversation with him, and then you invite him as a guest into your home, and then he becomes the master of your home. <laughs> That's the, that is the short, ugly story. The short, ugly story right there. And it all begins with him waving to you from across the street. And the survival technique and listen, when you first go to a gym, you can't pick up, I don't know, let's say 50 pounds is heavy for you. You can't pick up 50 pounds. But you start with 20, and then you go to 30, and then you go to 40, whatever it is. You go to 50. And now you are you couldn't do 50 when you first stepped into the gym. Now you're up to 60. You know, you, you keep on going. You'll be up to 100 soon. It's a muscle that has to be developed. Willpower, willpower is a muscle that has to be developed. Anyone who says, oh, I don't have the willpower. Ah! They're fooling themselves. It's, it's something that has to be developed over time. And if a person is serious about it, they will develop it. Now, one of the greatest places to develop this willpower, this strength, is when the Yetzirah tries to engage you in a conversation, <laughs> the ability to keep walking, <laughs> not to answer that question back. So, hey, what are you, what are you up to today? <laughs> hey, that looks good. What are you hungry for today? These overgeneralized questions and, and the Yetzirah is an angel. Remember, it's outside of us. It's very important because the Yetzirah will, will say all sorts of horrible things. Like, you walk by some old lady, kick that old lady. Like, and you think to yourself, am I really that horrible a person that I would have such a thought? And you have to understand that these like random, crazy, obscene, often obscene thoughts are not you. They're not you. This is the Yetzirah. This is an angel trying to trigger discontent within you. 
And when you have one of those thoughts, whatever it is, keep walking. Keep walking. And another thing that's very important to do is when the Yetzirah comes to you, is to identify it as the Yetzirah. You have to say to yourself, that's the Yetzirah. Let me tell you why that's so important. The Gomorrah in Sukkah says that there are seven names for the Yetzirah throughout Tanakh, okay, throughout the Torah. And the seventh and most insidious name of the Yetzirah is Tsefoni. Tsefoni means hidden. Now let me put that into contemporary language. What that means is that a voice rises up inside your head using the word I. But it's not you. It's the Yetzirah. But it's what I would like to call spiritual identity theft. It rises up inside you and it speaks in your name and it says, I would like to do something, fill in the blank, something forbidden. And the first thing that you have to understand is you have to say, that's the Yetzirah. You have to call it out because its power at that point is coming from convincing you that you are the one who has just said that statement. If you can say that's the Yetzirah, then all the all then you've turned on the lights and it can't like hide in the shadows like that. Okay, now resisting that impulse, right, is is a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother field. But the idea is to keep on walking, to distance yourself from the pull of that conversation. And again, that takes a lot of that takes a lot of um because it's only going to say things to you that are interesting to you. <laughs> Or that are outrageous to you. That now you're going to... Did you ever have a thought and then have an argument inside your head? How could I... No! How could I ever... Th- that, that's also from the Yetzirah. It wants to get you upset and in, in turmoil over this thing that wasn't your thought to begin with. It's another trick. But if you can call it out and say, that's the Yetzirah, then all of a sudden... Listen, by the way... It says the Yetzirah renews itself daily every single day and comes up with brand new tricks every single day to the last day of our lives. To the last day of our lives, we never outgrow the Yetzirah. Okay? And it's an angel. It never runs out of tricks. It knows you better than you know yourself. And not only that, but the Gomorrah and Kedushan says it's actually stronger than you. That if it wasn't for Hashem's help, we wouldn't be able to overpower it. And now I'm going to tell you something really heavy that I heard from Rabbi Green. You ready for this? The Yetzirah actually wants to kill you. It will settle for Averas along the way, but its ultimate goal is to kill us. So the reason why I tell you that is not to shock you or scare you, but to understand that who you're dealing with, you know, it might just, it. a lot of times, it wants to masquerade as your best friend. Like, hey, you know, I tell you what, we got some time today, let me, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for a while. 
think there's a little opening in the schedule today. What do you say? <laughs> right? <laughs> it wants to pretend that it's like riding shotgun with us. Like we're in the driver's seat. That's my best friend. But do you ever see those mobster films where someone turns state's witness and is wearing a wire? <laughs> the Yetzirah is working for God. It's wearing a wire. And then at the end of 120, you're standing before this, all of us are standing before the heavenly court and, 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 and the prosecuting attorney says, I'd like to call in our star witness. And it's like, it's the, that's the, I thought that was my best friend. And he, you know, lifts up his shirt, shows you his wire, these reel-to-reel tapes, you know, with hand carts, they start coming in with like, you know, boxes and boxes of them over the course of a lifetime. And it's like, we got you on tape, bro. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. So what I'm trying to suggest is that this Yetzirah will often masquerade itself as our best friend and as our co-conspirator. But don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. And this ability to, to feel the wave, to feel the, oh, this is a fascinating thing to discuss. You know, if I weren't, whatever, what would I, whatever, It's, it's just, it's asking an overgeneralized question. That's the wave. That's what Rashi's saying. It's asking that overgeneralized question because it just wants to dig down and it knows exactly where it's going. All right, now we have to return back to our main topic. All this is, you know, very relevant, of course. But remember what the Rambam is saying. It's very, very important because Rav Frimer is really going to teach us something very great about life, a great path in, in becoming holy, which is to minimize that which is in the realm of the permitted. See, what the snake is going to do now is say to, to Chava, is it, is it really true that you can eat, that, that, that you can, that you, you know, is it? Well, I'll read you the words. Once he gets her to talk about, once he gets Chava to talk about the one thing that's not allowed, right? Because she begins by saying, oh, no, 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 we can eat from all of the fruit except for that one. Now, all of a sudden, he got her to concentrate on the realm of the permitted and the realm of the forbidden. We're not communicating yet. Let me, let me explain. In the beginning, Chava, Eve, was just focused on the fact that she said, oh no, we can eat from all of the fruits. Meaning to say that what her relationship with God at that moment was, was just working within the realms of the permitted and then trying to minimize What's allowed within the permitted? In other words, it wasn't about, oh, it's this great struggle. These are the things that I'm allowed. These are the things that I'm not allowed. 
It wasn't about that for Chava in the beginning. And that's what the Ramban is saying, that the real path of holiness is that you're not even thinking about that which is forbidden. The real path of holiness is that you're only working on one spectrum, that which is permitted, and you're trying to eat a little bit less. Do a little bit less business. Do a little bit less of that, or do a little bit more of what is permitted. A little less of what's permitted? In other words, it's, it's all within the bounds of that which is permitted. Like, for instance, I'll give you something if you want to um, have a way to begin to apply this in life, right? There's something called the fast of the rived, very interesting spiritual technique, which is that the last bite of food on your plate, you don't eat. So that's, that's a very good example of what we're talking about right now, which is that is 100% permitted. It's on your plate. It's kosher. You can eat it, but you don't eat it. You're already lessening within the realms of that which is permitted. Okay, that's, 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 that's a very interesting thing and, 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 a, and a great example of what we're talking about right now. But what the snake did was the snake all of a sudden got her to think about, oh, we can eat from all the fruit except that one. Now, all of a sudden, her life becomes choosing between the permitted and the forbidden instead of just working within the permitted. And now that the screen has been widened and the forbidden is front and center alongside with the permitted, now all of a sudden, all of life becomes much more complicated. So... What Rav Frummer is, is suggesting for us is just be like Chava before the snake got to her. Just try to concentrate on withdrawing from those things which are permitted. Not, not completely, but to, to, to do that in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sensical way, right? Like, this isn't about fasting. You know, that's not for our generation anymore. Okay? But it might be about eating less. It's not about fasting, but it might be about eating less. So, so, so that's intense. That's intense. That's, that's, that's a very, that, that, that's a very huge thing. Again, let's just kind of, um, Review the concepts because we're going to be wrapping it up right now, okay? And then I, I want to read you something. Read you something, uh, just to, to to finish off. God willing. Um, you're standing under the shower, and you're not getting wet. And the reason is because you're wearing a raincoat but you don't even know you're wearing a raincoat. And again, it's this, it's this problem, this issue of why isn't this working for me? Why am I not going deeper? Why am I not going further in this path, which is so important to me? 
Is it really possible to be doing everything right and everything wrong? And if so, you know, you have to bring your computer, you have to bring your hard drive, your soul, right, to a technician, a soul, a soul doctor, a soul technician, who can look in and say, oh, okay, you know what, these two wires are crossed. So what wires are we crossing that we're not even aware of it because it's so deep, it's so deep down. And what I'd like to suggest to you is the wires that we're crossing is that we think God is here to serve us. And we don't, we don't, we haven't fully comprehended yet that we're here to serve him. And that to be in this relationship, and by the way, it's, it's a love relationship, to be in this love affair, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Is the greatest privilege, is the greatest blessing, and the greatest source of blessing that we can possibly be in. And then to orient ourselves, not in this constant debate over, can I do this, that's forbidden, whatever it is. But I'm not getting into that conversation to begin with because I'm not engaging the eight Sahara to begin with. Because when it comes to me, I'm still walking, I'm just walking forward. I'm not even allowing myself to get into that conversation. And then that takes work and that takes willpower and, and everything like this. And let me tell you something very, very important right now. Very important. You see, I don't know... I'm speaking for myself, but I imagine this applies to many of us. Maybe there are great people that it doesn't apply to, so I don't want to tar them with this brush. But I don't know that we're ever going to reach the levels of learning of previous generations, even pre-World War II. There's an excellent, excellent chance we're never going to even get close. I mean, let's be real. And in other aspects of heavenly service, we're never even going to get close. So is there a place where our generation can shine? You and me, right now, all of us, I'm talking to us right now, me, you. Is there a place where we can actually shine? And I think so. And you know where I think our 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 realm to shine in is? Shlomo Amela, King Solomon, the wisest person, says, a tzaddik, right? A tzaddik, a holy person, man, woman, a tzaddik falls down seven times and gets back up. So if you were to ask me what a tzaddik is, I would tell you a, a tzaddik is someone who never falls down. So Shlomo Melech, the wisest person, says otherwise. He says, a tzaddik falls down all the time. But you know what makes him a tzaddik? That he gets back up. That every single time he gets back up. I think that's where our generation can shine. I think that's where you and me can shine. In the ability to constantly get back up. Not not to fall. We're going to fall. But that ability to keep walking when the Yetzirah comes, that ability, even after we engage in that conversation and do who knows what, that we don't stop, 
and that we rededicate ourselves and we keep coming back 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 and we say, God, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to let go of this relationship with you. I'm not going to stop. And with that in mind, I want to just read you something that I I wrote. Um, I'm collecting these things together. I'm going to try to put them in a book. Um, I don't know when that will be exactly, but hopefully sooner rather than later. I call this one uh, driving. So I'm just going to read this to you and then um, and then we'll finish up. Okay. Like many new parents. Getting your child to fall asleep is especially challenging. Also like many new parents, my wife and I had a eureka moment when we made the connection between long drives and our son falling asleep. We thought, if we want him to nap, and we very much did, why not put him in the car and just drive until he falls asleep? Where to? It didn't matter. We just put him in the car and drive. It actually worked. One time, when checking to see if he was asleep, he wasn't. It occurred to me, he thinks that I'm going someplace and that he's just along for the ride. My son had no concept, concept that the entirety of this enterprise was just for him. And then I realized the same is true between us and God. We think that we're just along for the ride. That like water and mountains and hot dogs, we got lumped into creation and here we are. But we're not just along for the ride. God is driving us and all of creation in a massive display of love, just so we can be in a relationship with him. We are going someplace. We're traveling toward the perfection of the world. But in an even deeper sense, we're also already there. Because the more profound journey is all about our understanding that wherever we go, he's right there alongside us every second. Okay, have a great week. Okay, I just want to finish with something deep, something that just came to me, which is that we said that the first word that the snake spoke was af, which I wanted to suggest was the word aleph, missing the lamed. That the first thing that the snake does is desecrate the oneness of God. And... I want to add to that and say that the last letter of the whole Torah is the letter Lamed, that at the end we restore the Aleph. At the end we restore the Aleph. And of course, we know that we never finish the Torah. When we get to the end, we go back to the beginning. And the letters Lamed, the last letter of the Torah, and the letters Vez, Bez, spells Lave, Right? The Bays of Breshid, Bays and Vays are the same letter. Our hearts become restored. Our hearts will become restored. The Lamed will be returned and our hearts will be restored. What follows now are some questions and answers. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so one thing that we have to keep in mind is that there's only one power in the world. Um, other religions have the idea of God and the devil and, and um, you know, good and bad and this sort of cosmic wrestling match and things like that. And who's going to win? That's, that's not Judaism. Judaism um, has, says, excuse me, Hashem Echad. There's only one, one power in the entire world. And that the, 
the the Yetzirah, the Gemara says that the the Yetzirah, the Malach Hamavis, and the Satan are all one one force. That's all one energy. Okay, one attacks a person's say mind. Let's say that's the Yetzirah. The Satan is the heavenly accuser, and the Malach Hamavis is the angel of death. You know that that takes the body. You know after one hundred and twenty. It's, it's all one force. And that force works for God. That's, that's the crucial element. It works for God. In other words, it's not, um, it's not counter to God. It works for God. And as you um, suggested in, in, in that parable, um, the essence of that parable um, is, is that when the Satan or the Yetzirah comes to us, it wants us to say no. So it says that when we say yes to it, it tears its clothes and cries. And when we say no to it, it jumps up and dances. So from there, you see that it is very much working for God and it's just one unity. Now, we have this idea, which is a very fundamental idea, very important idea, is that this world is still in the process of being completed. Um, as Reb Shlomo said so wonderfully one time, I'll never forget it, is that if the... See, a lot of people think that the Garden of Eden was perfect, and then we blew it, and we're trying to get back to perfection. And it's deeper than that. It, it's, it's, it's much deeper than that. Um, as Reb Shlomo put it, if the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? Right? That, that shows you that the world itself was on the road to perfection and that God made us partners with him to achieve that perfection. Now, how do we achieve that perfection? And the answer is, is that we confront tests and tests right now is going to be a code word for the Yetzirah for difficulties, for challenges, for suffering even, all the above, we confront tests and we're able to find that in that darkness is God. And that and that one of the aspects of tests are that we have an inner strength that God desires to make manifest in a practical way in the world. In other words, we have potential that God wants to transform potential into accomplishment. And the vehicle through which potential becomes accomplishment, or an unlit match becomes fire and light, if you'd like to put it that way, is through tests, is through dealing with the Yetzirah. And so now that we've straightened out the lines of the Yetzirah, that it works for God, that there's only one power, and that all of this is toward the end of bringing about the ultimate perfection of the world, right? Remember, one of the great gematrias. Gematrias are, are so fascinating because um, they work in different ways. One is, it will be the same, a word will be the same number as another word, and then it will show you another aspect of that word. And you'll go, oh, there's a whole other dimension to this word that I wouldn't realize unless it shared the same number as that other word. How interesting. But there's another way that, that, that it works, which is that 
that um, sometimes the words will be absolutely opposite, but share the same number. Okay, so the best example, the most sort of like mind-bending example of that is the fact that Nachash, snake, from the Garden of Eden, Nachash, 358, has the same gematria as the word Mashiach. You're like, wait a second, that can't be. That cannot be. That's a, what is going on there? Snake and Mashiach, those are total opposites. How can you tell me that they have the same gematria, 358? But they do. And the answer is, and it goes back to what, what we're talking about right now, and we'll just conclude with this, is that Adam and Chava's job was to harness that snake energy, meaning to say that unfinished aspect of creation, right? And by harnessing it, if they were able to successfully harness it, they would be able to transform it into Mashiach. And that's, that is what, that's 24-7 in our lives throughout history till Mashiach comes. That is what's going on. We are facing the incompleteness of creation through this engagement with tests, which means the Sahara, till we bring the ultimate light lighting up all the darkness until 358 goes from Nachash to Mashiach. That's it. That's it. Okay. So Rashi points out that when the spies come back, and remember, all of human history is about to go off a cliff right now. Because we're about, Moshe Rabbeinu is, is about to lead the children of Israel into the land of Israel. Okay? This is the redemption, basically, that's unfolding right in front of our eyes. And for better or for worse, they send out spies and you know, the, the, let's, you know, we all know the bad reasons about the spies. Let's talk about the good reason. The good reason was that the land of Israel was going to be a place of teva, of nature, where there wasn't going to be this well of Miriam, where there's going to be like wide amounts of water available, even if you're in the middle of the desert and man food raining down from heaven every single day and clouds of glory protecting you from bullets and sun and vipers and all sorts of things. All those things were going to go away. You're actually going to have to labor and plant and water and all the laws of nature were about to kick in. And since the land of Israel was going to be a land of nature and they were going to trans, they were going to, um, going to, uh, you know, transition from uh, the, the realm of the supernatural in the desert to the realm of the natural. Moshe Rabbeinu felt that it was appropriate that they use natural means to conquer the natural land. And therefore, since it's natural before a battle to send out spies to figure out where your enemy is and everything like that, Moshe Rabbeinu sent out spies because he felt that this was the divine rhythm, so to speak, that was being called on at this point, and so spies were appropriate. Okay, that's that's a positive reason for spending sending spies. Okay, of course it horribly goes wrong, but but anyway, back to the point. When the spies return with their um Lushan Hara, with their bad report about the land of Israel, they begin by saying it's a great land. These are their first words. It's a great land. And Rashi says, all great lies begin with the truth. And so that's, that's what I'm offering to you about full disclosure. 
that all great lies begin with the truth. And my analysis of that is that when the Jewish people heard the truth, because the first words they say is, it's a great land, their hearts opened up for the lie that was to follow. You begin with the truth so that your heart opens up and then you become just this receptacle for the lie. So it's a very, you know, communication is very, it's very subtle and everything like that. And the, the, the easiest thing is just don't, don't be crafty. Just speak honestly, be direct, you know. I know in my own writing, as I've kind of developed over the years, I just try to write simple, direct sentences. You know, that's it. Just, just communicate, you know. If you want to write a novel, write a novel. Don't write a novel in an email. You know, <laughs> if you want to show everyone that you're a great poet, write a poem. Don't put your poetry in an email. Just simple, direct sentences. Just communicate. Um, okay, I hope that at least touched on it. Let me an try to address the idea of strengthening your, your Yetzir Tov. And that's an, excellent, that's an excellent point. Mostly we just focused on, uh, on the Yetzir today. So, so it's, it's good to give time to the Yetzir Tov. So, so certainly the Yetzir Tov, the, the, the positive inclination, you know, the sort of like the bread and butter visual that everyone likes to use is a, an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. You know, that's, that's something we can all relate to. So the Yetzir Tov is very, very important. And, um, and uh, yeah, you know, they, they say it's better to light a single match than to curse the darkness, right? So you, the, any, anytime you can do something positive and focus on the positive, that's, that, that is the, the great way to go. Absolutely. I'm a, a, a thousand percent behind that. You, you have to encourage yourself. You know, one time, I, actually more than once, I heard Reb Shlomo tell this story that he ran into a, a rabbi on the street and, and he asked him how he was doing. And the rabbi said back to him, fighting my Sahara, you know? And Reb Shlomo, like, you know, this is a mean word, but I mean, I'm just telling you how I heard his words. He like ridiculed that guy. For, for years, he ridiculed that guy, you know, that that, that, that was how he saw himself going through life, fighting my Yetzirah. So it, it might sound like this whole lecture was all about fighting my Yetzirah, and that's what I was talking about. But, you know, this is just one of the um, essential tools that all of us need to know in going through life. This isn't necessarily the, the, the main path or how to live the idealized life. If you want to, you know, live a more idealized life, then I wholly agree we have to spend a lot of time encouraging ourselves and just focusing on the positive and focusing on the good. But but we can't be defenseless. We have to know how to confront challenges when they arise. So so that's what this talk was dedicated to. But um but yeah, focusing on the good and 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 I would say one of the ways to encourage um and strengthen the Yetzer Tov is to say positive things to yourself. You know, it's it's very good to say that was a great job. Um, 
Good, good. You did good. Fantastic. And you know what? You can tell yourself, you can say, I love you. I love you. You can say that to yourself a hundred times a day. A hundred times a day. You know? It's it's very important to, to strengthen the good and, and to and to be your own best friend. You have to be your own best friend. Absolutely. Ten thousand percent. And that that's a lot of it. And if anything goes right, just keep on thanking God. Think on being think think keep being great keep in gratitude, keep thanking, focusing on the good, whatever good you can do. And, and remember that, that, that great phrase that, that my friend's psychologist told him, healthy people celebrate. You do something right, celebrate, celebrate. Allow yourself to really fully appreciate that you did something good. And yeah, keep on, keep on motivating yourself. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very important to come from that place of positivity. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's what I would say toward that. And, you know, I, I, the, the Rob that I learned with once told me that you can't only hear one lecture from a rabbi. Not that I'm a rabbi, but, but if you only hear one talk, every talk emphasizes a different point. So if you only hear one talk, then you think, oh, that's what he has to say. But everything is just a different point in the circumference of a circle. And, you know, so, you know, over time, we, we explore the entire picture. So today we really talked about defense against the spiritual attacker. But that can't be our whole life, right? In fact, in fact, the more we can concentrate on the good and the positive and that God is good and that life is good, um, and that I'm receiving so much, uh, the better off we'll be and the more successful we'll be. And I, I read from the, the Balatanya says that one thing you can say to the Yetzahara is, you don't even believe these things. Why should I believe them? <laughs> right? And I've, I've used that, that technique and it's, it's worked. It works. Because it sort of disarms me, like, oh yeah, that's, oh yeah, it's true. I work for God. It's true. I really don't believe any of those things. So... Um, and, um, yeah. And, you know, you just, you just, all a person has to do is try their best. You know, as much as we all want to be perfect, it's not really, we're not perfect is the bottom line. So, you know, all God wants to see is that we really put in that effort and that we desire to be good. And that, like I said, what our generation has the ability, what each one of us can excel at, that previous generations who were greater than us didn't have the same capacity to, to just shine brilliantly as, which is that constant rededication, that constant getting back up and trying again. That's really where we can become, you know, get into the Hall of Fame in terms of the pantheon of generations. That, that's, that's, our, that's our pedestal. And it's all about that idea that, you know, that, you know, I'm going to try again, or I tried my hardest, not that I'm not good enough. You know what did and then a person has to actually answer the question, did I try my hardest? Right? And you go, you know what, I probably could have tried harder. Okay, you know what, next time I'm going to try harder. So, so many, yeah, the phrase, practice makes perfect. Well, We'll never be perfect. Yeah. And I, 
phrase, practice makes better. Yes, exactly. But we can get better constantly. Right. Yeah, right. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them. <laughs>